We increase fear, and then we increase aggression, and then we increase gun violence. And they believe that the only way that they're going to get attention is through extreme violent actions. I thought, oh my God, that's my boys. Welcome back to In Sickness and in Health, a podcast about health and social justice. I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. This season, we're looking at gun violence in America. Since our last episode came out, we've seen two more mass shootings make the headlines in this country. Of a shots fired mm-hmm. at the Borderline Bar and Grill in Thousand Oaks. At the Borderline Bar and Grill in Thousand Oaks, California, a 28-year-old former Marine shot and killed 12 people. He injured another 22. That threat was neutralized or not. Okay. But there, I can confirm that there are... And at Mercy Hospital in Chicago, where a 32-year-old gunman shot and killed his former fiance and three others. There's no doubt in my mind that all those officers that responded were heroes and they saved a lot of lives because we just don't know how much damage he was prepared to do. At the time of this episode's release, we're still learning about the shooters and why they may have done this, but their profiles have become disturbingly common when it comes to mass shootings in America. Young, male, and with a history of violence against women. Last episode, we talked about modern gun culture why people own guns, how they use them, and what they mean to them. Over the next few episodes, we'll take a look at how gender and race relate to guns. Today we ask, why are guns a symbol, for many, of masculinity? Are boys and men more violent? Or do they turn to violence and guns as tools in the absence of other alternatives to dealing with their problems? Mass shootings, like those at the Borderline Bar and Grill and Mercy Hospital, are perpetrated almost exclusively by boys and men. In fact, nearly three-quarters of all homicides in the United States involve a man killing another man, and an even higher proportion of suicides involves men killing themselves. What is it about American men that leads some of them to such extreme acts of violence? Does it really just come down to boys will be boys? That men are fundamentally violent by their very natures, to start us off, meet Benjamin Sledge. He's the executive director of a nonprofit that works with the music industry and mental health. In addition to that, I'm a veteran. I spent 11 years in the United States military. Most of that time was under the Army Special Operations Command. And I'm a recipient of the Bronze Star, Purple Heart, and two Army Accommodation Medals for my actions overseas. Benjamin's family can trace their military heritage all the way back to the Civil War. As a kid, Benjamin looked up to his grandfather, who was a paratrooper in World War II. His grandfather was a big part of teaching Benjamin what it meant to be a man. My grandfather was a lot about honor and integrity, um, and he he really pushed that hard with my, my brother and I. Uh, all I knew was that in order to be a man, you like honored your word, um, you, you did the right thing, uh, and you toughed it out. As close as he was to his grandfather, though, there was a side to him he didn't see until it was too late. And and I mean, it's it's kind of a travesty that I didn't learn about it until my grandfather had passed away. And shortly before he passed away, uh, he he wrote uh, his memoir. And I began to see in those pages just how deeply the loss of his friends in combat uh, really affected him. When Benjamin was stationed in Afghanistan, he made friends like this, too. 
he knew how important they were, especially in a war zone. It's not weird to to hug your friends there and you, you, you show more of that deep feeling side in combat, you know, crying over those that you've lost, uh, comforting each other when you're going through difficult times. For me personally, my wife left while I was uh, in Iraq. That was one of the darkest times in my life, and I, and I didn't know how I was going to make it through or make it home. And uh, man, it was just all those guys rallied around me and loved me through it. So if these relationships were so meaningful to Benjamin's grandfather, too, why didn't he talk about them? As warm and as loving as, you know, my dad and my grandparents and uncles have all been, there wasn't that kind of sensitive side to the the masculine soul. It was just kind of like, buck up, kiddo. Benjamin isn't the only one who thinks this. My name is Niobe Way. I'm a professor of developmental psychology at New York University and the author of Deep Secrets, Boys, Friendships, and the Crisis of Connection. Niobe's research looks at masculinity through the lens of teenage friendships, specifically the friendships between boys. If you look at boys' friendships, it is definitely a story about masculinity. Niobe's observed the same ideas of what it means to be a man as Benjamin described. That attitude of buck up, man up, it's at the heart of why men struggle to hold on to deep friendships. Boys talk about wanting friendships, close friendships with other boys, having close friendships with other boys. Um, They talk about their love for these friends being lost without feeling, quote-unquote, lost without them. They talk about sharing secrets and uh, not just secrets about, you know, crushes, but also secrets about things that are happening at home that are difficult and needing people, someone, and usually referring to a boy, another boy, who they can share those kinds of vulnerabilities with and, and won't be laughed at or judged. When the boys reach adolescence, Niobe says she sees a change. You all of a sudden start to see this boys really trying to struggle to hold on to these relationships that only a few years earlier they thought was so important. What's going on here? According to Niobe, adolescence is when social pressures push boys to distance themselves from their friends in the name of becoming a man. That image of a man as independent, trustworthy, strong, stoic, self-sufficient, all the positive things that Benjamin got from his grandfather. Those are all beautiful qualities, to be independent and self-sufficient, to be autonomous and stoic. So what we do is we have those qualities and then we put them at the expense of the other ones. Qualities like building deep friendships, expressing emotions, vulnerability, things that our culture thinks of as feminine and weak. I mean, listen to the quote. It should give everybody the chills. It would be nice to be a girl because then I wouldn't have to be emotionless. It's not that boys stop having friends, but the nature of those friendships changes. According to Niobe, chasing this image of masculinity leads boys to isolate themselves emotionally. This is especially true of friendships with other boys. Too deep a friendship between boys could lead some to challenge their masculinity and call them gay. And the reason why I know it's linked to masculinity is because you say anything related to close friendships and then they'll add a no homo in there. What they're trying to say, also sort of homophobic way, is I'm not gay. Um, And that whole compulsion to assert that somehow boys' friendships, which is just a human desire and need that we've known throughout our human history, uh, all of a sudden becomes sexualized in a matter of whether they're straight or gay. Niobe thinks this push towards a stoic, cold masculinity is cutting boys and men 
off from half of their natural human selves. And that's dangerous. The boys who are committing these school shootings and all sorts of things um, happens between typically between 16 and 25, which is, again, right, you know, this age where boys are really putting pressure on, on, uh, on themselves as well as on each other to disconnect from the so-called feminine side of themselves. We have given basic human qualities a gender uh, and then said to boys, if you act like if you, you know, if you talk about needing relationships and wanting intimacy with the same sex and you're not, and you identify as being straight, um, that somehow that's problematic and it's not a, being a man. You know, we shouldn't be surprised that they, some of them uh, grow up to act crazy because essentially, you know, it, <laughs> they're living in a, a culture that's, that's uh, literally inhibiting their basic human nature. Uh, and demeaning it. Um, and so the clash between culture and nature creates a problem for boys and men. Benjamin says he sees this in the adult men around him. None of us really have deep, close relationships with one another. We have friends, but aside from that, it's like guys that, you know, you go to the bar and you grab a drink with, or you hang out kind of um, in you know, married groups and you're like, that guy's cool. And, you know, his wife and my wife get along as opposed to having those deep, soulful, meaningful connections that I had, especially in the military. I'm extremely close with the guys that I served overseas with. We still call one another, text one another. We're so close with it. We know everything about each other's lives. We know our deepest, darkest secrets. We've cried together. We've laughed together. We've been through some of the most traumatic experiences together. And there's this deep brotherhood. What opens men up to one another, says Ben, is sharing their hurts and hang-ups. But all too often, they're afraid to make themselves vulnerable. It's the last thing they want to reveal. Obviously, loneliness is not unique to men. It's also not a guaranteed path to violence. But Niobe and Benjamin agree the isolation a lot of boys and men feel can predispose to violence, including gun violence and mass shootings. I'm not arguing that boys should be able to cry. I mean, if that was all I was arguing, it wouldn't be so difficult because, uh, you know, I think everybody can resonate that boys should be able to cry when they feel sad. It's, it's much deeper to me than that. It's about having the emotional tools to be able to face the hardships and struggles in life. For research for a book on depression, Benjamin collected surveys from over 500 people about their mental health. The questionnaire tried to get at the root of their depression or suicidal thoughts. Then he saw the results. That was kind of mind-blowing for me. Nearly 75% of people surveyed said they were overwhelmed by stress. They didn't know how to handle their feelings or relationships. We have an entire generation of people that don't have the skills necessary to become uh, you know, mentally resilient and, and face down trials and adversities and the things that they're facing in life. And we, then we give them access to firearms. And to me, I'm like, that's insane. Benjamin's experienced these struggles, too. Remember how his wife left him while he was deployed in Iraq? Coming home to an empty house was harder than he'd anticipated. Uh, because I had literally come back from Iraq and, you know, my wife had left and she had already moved out, moved out all of her stuff. And she's seeing some guy and I'm just like, I just, 
either want to kill both of them or kill myself because everything is awful. And I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm alone. And I just, I've just gotten home and it's the most horrible feeling in the world. And uh, I, and I didn't know how to process it. And thank God for, for friends who stepped in and said, you know, it's, it's not okay for you to be alone. Benjamin's friends saved his life. But the military, for all the good it can do for male bonding, it's not a panacea. The Thousand Oaks shooter was a veteran. Benjamin and Niobe see generations of boys and men who haven't had the mental or emotional skills to handle problems in their lives. Without the tools to handle stress, loneliness, and other problems, they turn to something else, like violence and guns. Gun ownership is one of those things that's, that's tied to a type of masculinity. We see it being represented frequently in music, um, in movies, television shows, books. This is Jim Taylor. He's a professor of sociology at Ohio University. He studies the nexus of gun subcultures and masculinity in America. We're saturated with these themes and images of uh, males using guns in different contexts for all these uh, different forms of entertainment. Classic American male archetypes like the lone cowboy, the pioneer, the soldier, they all have admirable qualities. They're also all categories where men use guns to solve their problems. There's this emphasis on um, the guns being the solutions to the problems uh, or being necessary, a necessary part of life, more so than you, know, you would expect to see uh, for the average citizen in their day-to-day life. Take this line from the movie Shane. A gun is a tool, Miriam. No better, no worse than any other tool. An axe, a shovel, or anything. A gun is as good or as bad as the man using it. Jim says popular culture reinforces guns as a tool, often in defense of a character's masculinity. And frequently there is this, uh, somewhere in that backstory, that the, uh, the males are using them to be real men, to find their manhood, to prove their masculinity, to fill in some void where their masculinity is being challenged. You going to take that challenge or be called a coward? Well, what are you going to do, Paul? So being saturated with these messages about this idea of um, if your masculinity is challenged and you have access to a gun. Well, are you going to shoot him? This is something that might, in some situations, restore your manhood. Fear of not being a real man or seen as a real man, um, the fear of not fitting in, whatever it is, um, but it is the fear or climates of fear that's probably the most worrisome constant in gun-related violence, and it's just not discussed enough. Jim thinks this narrative of guns and masculinity distorts the way boys and men think about solving problems. He thinks of it like going down a buffet line. When a person goes to a buffet, they're surrounded with all of these options. Uh, some of them very good for you, some of them kind of okay for you, and some of them you know, are just really bad choices. If the message males regularly hear and receive is guns equals male equals man equals big tough badass, then when you're facing a masculinity challenge on any level, from dealing with the neighborhood bully to dealing with world powers, um, then maybe you turn to the, the gun or the more violent, dramatic option in the, in the cultural buffet. Uh, we're left to face the potentially toxic consequences of this decision. 
Jim thinks part of the answer lies in reminding men there are legitimate alternatives to violence. That's a better, stronger definition of courage, bravery, and masculinity in my book. And uh, I think it would definitely lead to some better outcomes. Reflecting back on these conversations, it seems like this big problem of masculinity and violence boils down to how we raise our boys. It's about how men are allowed to feel, to make connections with others. In short, it's a cultural problem. The solution can sound overwhelming because, oh my goodness, how do we change, you know, how do we change a culture? Um, But I've discovered that actually the solution is not so complicated. Toward the end of our conversation, Niobe told me a story about this. It sounds small, but I think it's a step in the right direction. She was talking to another group of students and read aloud a passage from her book, Deep Secrets, to the class. The first quote in the opening chapter is a very um, emotionally fraught quote. So it talks about, you know, we just know each other, we understand each other. It's a boy talking about his best friend. The class, predictably, started to giggle. So I said, um, why are you giggling? And they wouldn't tell me. And finally some kid said, well, you know, he sounds gay. And I said, well, okay. You know, I, I didn't actually ask about sexuality, so he certainly could be gay. I have no idea. But let me just tell you something. Over the, the almost 30 years I've been interviewing boys, about 85% of boys sound like this at some point during their teenage years. And there was total silence. Um, and then someone just, you know, so one of the boys said, for real? And I said, oh, yeah. I said, this, this is what teenagers sound like. This is what teenage boys sound like. And Celine, do you know what happened? <laughs> so it was an amazing transition. I didn't expect it. And all of a sudden, I had 12-year-old boys ra- raising their hand, telling me about how they had wanted close friends. Like, well, they had this friendship, or these two boys in the classroom had been close. They were in the classroom together. Uh, had been close, and then they had had a falling out um, over some issue, and all I did was normalize it. So at some level, um, I think the solution for parents and teachers and healthcare professionals and all sorts of folks who interact with young people um, is just to normalize that these, these desires and needs and capacities are just human capacities and essential for our health and growth. There's lots of reasons for hope. Maybe if we give our boys and men more options, more freedom to feel and express, if we give them the full range of human emotional tools, they won't feel the need to reach for violence as a tool for coping. Without changing any laws, that culture shift, arming men with their feminine sides, could make a huge dent in our rates of gun violence. Next time, we're going to talk about the flip side of gender, violence, and guns. Today's episode of In Sickness and in Health was produced by Zach Dyer and me. Our theme music is by Alan Vest. Additional music by the Blue Dot Sessions. Audio from outside the Borderline Bar and Grill, care of Ventura County Star reporter Jeremy Childs. You can learn more about this podcast and how to engage with us on social media at insicknessandinhealthpodcast.com. That's insicknessandinhealthpodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find out about the show. 
I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. This is In Sickness and in Health.